This podcast is brought to you by Bethany Trinity Presbyterian Church. Thanks for listening. This is God's Word. Genesis chapter 10, verses 1 to the end, and then chapter 11 to 1 to 9. This is an account of Shem, Ham, and Japheth, Noah's sons, who themselves had sons after the flood. The sons of Japheth, Goma, Magog, Madai, Javan, Tubal, Meshech, and Tiraz. The sons of Goma, Ashkenaz, Riphath, and Togoma. The sons of Javan, Elisha, Tarshish, the Kittim, and the Rodanim. From these, the maritime peoples spread out into their territories by their clans within their nations, each with its own language. The sons of Ham, Cush, Mezram, Put, and Canaan. The sons of Cush, Seba, Havilah, Sabta, and Rama, and Sabdika. The sons of Rama, Sheba, and Dedan. Cush was the father of Nimrod, who grew to be a mighty warrior on the earth. He was a mighty hunter before the Lord. That is why it is said, like Nimrod, a mighty hunter before the Lord. The first centers of his kingdom were Babylon, Erek, Akkad, and Kauna in Shinar. From that land, he went to Assyria, where he built Nineveh, Rehoboth-ur, Kala, and Rezin, which is between Nineveh and Kala, that is, the great city. Mizram was the father of the Ludites, Anamites, Lehabites, Naphtuhites, Pathrasites, Kazlahites, from whom the Philistines came, and Kaphtarites. Canaan was the father of Sidon, his firstborn, and of the Hittites, Jebusites, Amorites, Girgashites, Hivites, Archites, Sinites, Avidites, Zemorites, and Hamathites. Later the Canaanite clan scattered, and the borders of Canaan reached from Sidon towards Jura, as far as Gaza, and then towards Sodom, Gomorrah, Adma, and Zeboram, as far as Lasha. These are the sons of Ham, by their clans and languages, in their territories and nations. Sons were also born to Shem, whose older brother was Japheth. Shem was the ancestor of all the sons of Eber. The sons of Shem, Elam, Asher, Arphaxad, Lud, and Aram. The sons of Aram, Uz, Hu, Githa, and Meshach, Aphaxad was the father of Shelah, and Shelah was the father of Eber. Two sons were born to Eber. One was named Peleg, because in his time the earth was divided. His brother was named Joktan. Joktan was the father of Amadad, Shelef, Hazamadeth, Jerah, Hadaram, Uzal, Dikla, Obal, Abimael, Sheba, Ufer, Havilah, and Jobab. All these were sons of Joktan. The region where they lived stretched from Misha towards Sephar in the eastern hill country. And these are the sons of Shem by their clans and languages in their territories and nations. 
These are the clans of Noah's sons, according to their lines of descent within their nations. From these, the nations spread out over the earth after the flood. Now the whole world had one language and a common speech. As men moved eastward, they found a plain in Shinar and settled there. They said to each other, Come, let's make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They used brick instead of stone and tar for mortar. Then they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves and not be scattered over the face of the whole earth. But the Lord came down to see the city and the tower that the men were building. The Lord said, If as one people speaking the same language, they have begun to do this, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and confuse their language so they will not understand each other. So the Lord scattered them from there over all the earth, and they stopped building the city. That is why it is called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of the whole world. From there, the Lord scattered them over the face of the whole earth. This is God's word. Thanks be to God. Okay, we're now going to invite uh, Andrew Wong to preach God's word to us. He's very helpfully actually put the sermon outline in the chat box. So for those of you who know how to do it, you can go to the chat box and actually click it and uh, open the sermon outline, which will help you to follow the sermon which Andrew Wong will be preaching today. So I'll just follow Andrew now, and uh, I'll just uh, let him uh, lead us in understanding God's Word. Andrew? Thanks, Andrew. Right, a very good morning to everyone. It's such a joy to be able to look into God's Word together. And can I encourage you to keep your Bible open, because there's so many names there. And you'll be helpful as we go along with uh, today's passage. So let's begin by asking God to help us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you 10, 11. We pray, dear Father, that your Holy Spirit will help us to engage our minds and our hearts and our hands so that we can listen, we can understand, we can respond rightly to you. Be with us all, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Numeshka, Numeshka, it means hello. Now that was the first Bengali word I learned yesterday morning as I gathered with a few of our guys waiting to meet our migrant friends at Gardens by the Bay. Just as they had to learn the colloquial English when they first arrived in Singapore, we wanted to express our desire to connect with them by learning some really basic Bengali, even though they could understand our English. Now, as we met up with our friends and as I walked with them, I come to learn about the various challenges that the migrant workers had to overcome when they crossed from one country to another. One worker said when he first arrived at Singapore at a younger age, he could not speak English. Two other friends said they left behind their young children whom they longed to see more. One friend taught me a phrase that he would say to his little daughter whenever she spoke to him 
on, on video and asked daddy when are you coming home and he would reply her this way he said bimane rong sukanai bimane rong sukanai which means the aeroplane's pain haven't dry that is his way of telling his two-year-old that daddy can't come home yet. Why does our world have so many cultures, languages, barriers between nations? What is the origin of our diversity? Will trying harder to be united among nations or having a common language bring us world peace? Now, dear friends, this morning we come to an important passage of the Bible that actually paints the biblical backdrop to the origins of our diversity. In fact, more importantly, today's passage explains the cause for our diversity and gives us a hint to the solution that we truly need. So can I invite us now to look into our Bible as we look at the first passage in Genesis chapter 10, Verse 1. Let me share screen for us. Let me read verse 1 for us as you look at it with me. Chapter 10 verse 1 begins this way. This is the account of Shem, Ham and Japheth, Noah's sons, who themselves had sons after the flood. Now in the previous weeks that we were here, we read of the great flood that destroyed humanity and how God saved one family in order for our world to restart. And that family was Noah and his wife, his three sons, Shem, Ham, Japheth, and their wives. Now what we have read just now, or Sarah has very helpfully read for us in chapter 10, is a historical and geographical map of how humanity once again became fruitful and multiplied after the Great Flood. A careful reading will help us to realize that there are 70 nations mentioned here. Many of them were known by the first readers, most likely the Israelites. We read in Genesis 10 the genealogies of these nations that came from the three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. In fact, the ESV Bible uh, helpfully uh, show us a map of where these nations are most likely located. I put it on the screen for us. It's also in your sermon outline. So as you look at Genesis 10 in your hands, your Bible, you can see that in one sense, these nations, they were united by their genealogy. And yet, they are greatly divided into many nations. Now, in the Bible, seven is often used to symbolize completeness. And so the listing of 70 nations known to the first readers were intended to represent the world, the whole world as they knew it. The reality is that the genealogy of Genesis 10 has not included many later on, including the fathers of Israel, the people of God of Abraham, who will only appear in Genesis 12. But the point is that God's blessing on Noah's family came to pass. They became fruitful. They did multiply and they did scatter over the whole known world. The restart of humanity was successful. Now, in a broad stroke, 
as we see Genesis 10, there are three main strands within the genealogy. There were the descendants of Japheth, if you look at verse 2 to 5. They were those who spread to the furthest towards the northeast as well as the coastal regions. Verse 5 describes them as the maritime people. Then we have the descendants of Ham from verse 6 to 20. The descendants of Ham, they occupy the central, the, the green color highlighted part, the central as well as the southern part of the map. And as you look at the names, you'll find very many familiar names that have stories to unpack in the later parts of the Bible. You have Egypt, where God's people, chosen by God, would become slaves for 400 years. And then the Nimrod, mighty people who would establish the great kingdoms of Babylon, Assyria, and also Nineveh, they would appear in the later parts of the Old Testament narratives as well. And then you have the, the clans from Canaan, such as Sodom, Gomorrah, the Amorites, and others. They would leave behind horrific accounts of bitter wars and judgment from God, just as Noah had proclaimed back in Genesis 8. And finally, as you look on, there are the descendants of Shem, which is from verse 21 to 31 of Genesis 10 in your Bible where there was a focus on a man, this man called Eber. Eber is a man with two sons, called Pelag and Joktan. Now, there were descriptions about Joktan's descendants, who they were, but they were totally silenced on Pelag. Yet, it will be Pelag that is more important than his brother. It says in verse 25, that he was named Pelag, which means divide, because in his time, the earth was divided. Now, why is Pelag important? The reason is this, because Pelag would become the ancestor of Abraham and the chosen people of God. And so it turns out, as you look at your map of Genesis 10 in your hands, it really focuses on describing the nations that surround the first readers, the people of God. So in this historical and geographical map of Genesis 10, we see God keeping his promise to bless Noah's family to be fruitful and to multiply. But names of the nations also hint to us that evil and sin were also germinating with the growing population. Many, especially the sons of Ham, and in particular, Canaan, would occupy a large part of the Old Testament narratives. God's people, beginning with Abraham in the next chapter, were called to be set apart to do what the rest of the world refuses to do. Now, I hope you're still with me in Genesis 10, because as you look at Genesis 10 again, carefully look at it with me, there is a curious repetition that should catch your attention if you have read it once or twice. Because here we have three times in verses 5, 20, 31, the author of Genesis tells us that the people, they were not only divided according to the genealogy of Noah's three sons, 
they were also divided among themselves by clans, by nations, by territories, and by languages. Now the question is, why did people have different languages and communication barriers if they came from the same family? You know, friends, brothers, sisters, now, if only we have one common language for our world, we'll not need to wake up early to learn Bengali before meeting our migrant friends. And they do not have to learn language and to overcome communication barriers when they come to Singapore. You will not fear getting lost in a country, a foreign country during your holidays. Or to look at the menu of a Chinese or Spanish restaurant as if you are playing Russian roulette. And my children, they will not be horrified on their first day at kindergarten when we first arrived back in Singapore from Perth. Now, I can still remember bringing Joanna and Jonathan for kindergarten for the first time when they first migrated back to, to Singapore. I told them they have, they have no problem going to kindergarten. It's going to be fun. The only hinder, uh, the only obstacle they may have is perhaps the Mandarin class, but everything else will be great. But to my horror, this was what happened in the very first hour of school. I sent them off to their class and I, I hid behind the classroom to see how they were managing. And this was what happened. The teacher came in and she spoke Singlish. Then the whole class stood up to sing the national anthem, which was in Malay. Then it was followed by Mandarin songs and dance before they round up the first hour with a dance while singing our Tamil National Day song, Muneru Variba. Imagine the confusion I saw in the two little faces trying to reconcile if that first hour was the Mandarin class daddy mentioned to them. And then they realized their Malaysian grandma spoke Hokkien and their Indian great-grandma spoke Hainanese. Now, why did people after the flood spoke different languages and had communication barriers, even, they, even though they all came from Noah? Why did people from nations set up barriers among their own brothers? Well, the next nine verses gave us the reasons why the world was divided. So I'd like to invite you to turn now with me to Genesis 11 as I read verse 1 for us. Genesis 11 verse 1. Now the whole world had one language and a common speech. Right away, if you have just flipped from chapter 10 to 11, you'll realize that Genesis 11 comes before the historical and geographical map of the whole of Genesis 10. For Genesis 11 verse 1 to 9 was written to explain the origins of divisions of nations and the multiplication of languages. Look on with me to verse 2 onwards. It says, As people moved eastward, they found a plain in Shinar and settled there. They said to each other, Come, let us make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They used brick instead of stone and tar for mortar. Then they said, 
Come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we'll be scattered over the face of the whole earth. Now, we were told earlier in Genesis 11 that at some point after the flood, probably in the days of Peleg, that the children of Shem, Ham, and Japheth, they decided that they did not want to scatter over the rest of the earth to feel it. What is their fear? They fear becoming insignificant. So instead, they want to make a name for themselves. In fact, they said they would do it together. They had one language. They had the great ability to communicate. They had great intelligence right from then. They didn't have to use stone. They could, and mortar, they could improvise and build their cities using bricks and tar. They would declare themselves great together. Look at verse 3 and 4 with me again. This is what they said. Let us make, let us build that we may make a name for ourselves. Now, what is ominous or frightening about the desire of their hearts? It is this. They did not want to feel the earth as God's image barrier. They did not want to be concerned with God's name so in our modern day example, you will be something like this, that the officials tasked to set up government buildings and embassies, refusing to hang the picture of the president. They want to plunge their own flag at the property they fancy. Now Genesis 11 verse 1 to 4 tells us, the sons of Shem and Ham and Japheth, they did not want to spread across the world. Instead, together they want to build upwards. They want to stick their flag in the heavens to make a name for themselves, to leave their legacies. Now, in the great speech by the late President Kennedy titled, We Choose to Go to the Moon, the President addressed the human desire to be greater and greater and for our names to be known higher and higher. I want to invite us to listen to one of the best speeches in our recent history. Listen to this. But why some say the moon? Why choose this as our goal? And they may well ask, why climb the highest mountain? Why 35 years ago, fly the Atlantic? We choose to go to the moon. We choose to go to the moon. Three, two, one, zero. Lift off on Apollo 11. We choose to go to the moon in this decade and do the other things. Not because they are easy, but because they are hard. Because that goal will serve to organize and measure the best of our energies and skills. Because that challenge is one that we're willing to accept one we are unwilling to postpone, and one we intend to win. That's one small step for man, one giant leap for mankind. I hope you, you, you get to hear it from the sound system on your end. 
it was one of the most powerful speech given. It was not just for the Americans, but he tried to say that it was for all humanity. One speech, one goal, one world. Conquering the mountains was just one step to climb higher into the sky. One step higher to put the human, perhaps the American flag first, onto the moon, to infinity and to beyond. Now, as we look at the great speech in Genesis 11, perhaps it was spoken by the leaders of humanity of that time. They did not say, we want to be God. Yet in turning away from God's command to spread out, they focus on themselves to reach out, to reach out into the heavens and declare their own greatness. And so like their mother Eve, the blessing of God to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth was not good enough. Eve wanted to reach out and take the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil and be God-like. This desire to be God continues to germinate in her descendants wanting to be greater and greater to be God-like, to build a tower with our own names on it. Now, the President Kennedy knew that great power comes with great responsibility. And so in the same speech, we choose to go to the moon. He also said this. He said, let me read to us. We set sail on this new sea because there is new knowledge to be gained and new rights to be worn. And they must be worn and be used for the progress of all people. For space science, like nuclear science and all technology, has no conscience of its own whether it will become a force for good or evil depends on men. Now, the president had great confidence in the force of humankind and he knew that a force could be good or ill depending on the motives of humankind. And you know what? He was right, absolutely. Because even God acknowledges that His image bearers, humans, have great power when we are together. Look at verse 6. This is what God says. He said, If as one people speaking the same language, they have begun to do this, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. And so the president was right in having great confidence in the force a united humanity could generate. Humans had achieved the impossibles. Countries have built great walls, consolidated languages, strung the world with internet, dealt with the deadliest virus, flew humans who have no wings, and dived humans with no gills. There is a great force when humans unite. But he was too optimistic in thinking that humankind could balance good and evil. God's verdict, God's verdict on humankind after the flood was this, Genesis 8, 21. Let me read it for us. The Lord smelled the pleasing aroma and said in his heart, Never again will I curse the ground because of humans, even though every inclination of the human heart is evil from 
childhood. God was not optimistic like President Kennedy about what is in the hearts of humankind, of you and of me. God looked into our hearts and he knew that every inclination of the human heart is evil. Yes, we can do lots of good. Yes, with united efforts, humans can achieve greatness. But there is one problem with the human heart. There is one missing word in all these great speeches, including that of Genesis 11 verse 4 that says, Let us build to reach the heavens so that we can make a name for not God, but for ourselves. The word that always disappears from the human heart is the word God. The problem of humanity in Genesis 11 verse 1 to 4 is an H.O. problem that still exists. The united people decided that what God blesses is not good enough. Like mom and dad, Adam and Eve, we want to decide what is good and evil for ourselves. We seek after our own legacies and we accumulate our own securities independent of God. And without God in the picture frame, humans, we inevitably put our own pictures into the legacies we built. We find securities in the accumulations that we have for ourselves. And that is the ultimate suicide for humanity. I want us to look closely again at verses 6 and 7 of Genesis 11. Let me read this again and look at it carefully with me. Listen as I read it for us. The Lord said, If as one people speaking the same language they have begun to do this, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. Verse 7, Come, let us go down and confuse their language so they will not understand each other. What do you think is happening in verse 6 and 7? Was God afraid that humans could topple him and so he decides to confuse the human language? Well, the answer must be no. Because apparently the tower was so small, their flag is so low, and their shouts are so squeaky. Verse 5 tells us God had to come down to get a better view of what was happening. So what was suicidal about verse 6? Well, the answer is linked back to God's verdict in Genesis 8.21. Look at this carefully with me, verse 21. That every inclination of the human heart is evil from childhood. If humans united as one people succeeded in building the tower to declare their greatness, their independence of God, and their refusal or need to obey God, you know what's going to happen? Nothing, nothing will stop them from becoming as wicked as humanity back in the days of Noah. 
And when that happens, another total destruction like the flood will become inevitable. If they have succeeded and they express fully the wickedness in their hearts, the total destruction of humanity becomes inevitable. And so it is out of sheer mercy that God chose not to destroy the whole of humanity again shortly after the flood. And so instead, He confuses their language so that they will not achieve their total rebellion as one humanity. God divided humanity in order to save us from our own destruction. Was there judgment involved? Absolutely. But more than that, there was God's covenantal mercy not to destroy the whole of humanity without any remnants. Now, dear brothers and sisters, dear friends, when we read Genesis 10 and come across names like Sodom and Gomorrah, which will be wiped out by the burning sulfur in just a few more chapters. We are to see God's judgment when Sodom and Gomorrah were destroyed. But we are to be reminded of God's mercy right here in Genesis 10 and 11, that the world was divided by clans and nations and territories and languages so that the whole world was not one big Sodom and Gomorrah family. Brothers and sisters, friends, as we run up to this passage, we do need to acknowledge that in our world, there are great gains in unity and great pains in diversity. It is true that life will be a lot more convenient if we have one language and one speech. No more language apps to learn Bengali or English. No more grumbling about the Tower of Babel when I sat for my Greek exams repeatedly. No more miscommunication between nations and peoples or families. No, it is true that together humankind can achieve many, many great things. Be it flying to the moon, discovering vaccines, connecting families separated by physical distance. Just yesterday, while I was meeting my friends, I could say hi on video with one of the brothers uh, of our friends in, in Bangladesh. All the while, while I was eating my McDonald's under the tree in Gardens by the Bay. That is the power of technology that humans have created. It is true also that divisions can cause much tension, be it social and political, economical, even spiritual. But today's passage, today's passage is a sobering reminder that without God in the picture, humankind will only seek the greatness of our own names, whether we are divided or whether we are united. Like the flood, the confusion of language prevented the explosion of human rebellion and the opposition against God. But it does not solve the problem of Genesis 8 verse 21, the inclination for evil. So what is God's solution? God's solution for our brokenness comes ultimately by sending His own Son to reverse what happened at the Tower of Babel. And we see 
this reversal in the New Testament. So I would like to close our time by reading parts of Acts 2 to see God reversing the curse and the judgment of Babel to unite his people. It will not be true one language again, but it will be true one name. So let me close by reading for us Acts 2. Let me share screen to read Acts 2 for us. Listen as I read it for us. Acts chapter 2 verse 5. Now there were staying in Jerusalem God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When he heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our own native language? The Passions, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judah, Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Pygeia, Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya, near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they ask one another, what does this mean? Now, as every nation under heaven, known heaven, came together, all the languages were gathering in Jerusalem 2,000 years ago. They heard the apostles preaching their own language and they were drawn to the message. Then Apostle Peter stood up and gave the first explanation and sermon of how the Old Testament was always pointing towards Jesus, both as the Son of God and as the Savior of our world. And in closing, this is what Peter said in Acts 2.36. Let me read this as a closing for us. He said this, Therefore let all Israel be assured of this, God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and they said to Peter and the other apostles in all their different languages, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. Dear brothers and sisters, history leading to the flood was repeating itself in Genesis 11. But God, by His grace, prevents history from repeating itself by confusing the language at Babel. That was not the permanent solution. The permanent solution to our world's divisions and problems are solved not by learning one language, but by God uniting people once more in one name, by sending Christians to make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit so that they can obey everything that God's Son commanded. And then one day, Revelation, the last book of the Bible tells us, one day, Babylon, that is Babel, will be destroyed. 
but the people of God will be gathered into the new city. That new great city will not be built by human hands, but will be built by the hands with nail scars on it. The hands of our Lord Jesus Christ. On that day, we will make the name great again, but it is not our name. It is that nail scarred hand and the name of God. Will we respond to God's path of unity and call upon more and more people to God's path of unity, not by language, but by the name that will judge and will save the Lord's name, our Lord Jesus Christ. May God help us as we close in prayer. Father, we thank you for Genesis 10, 11. Thank you for both your judgment and your mercy. We thank you that you saw our problem much clearer than any humans can see and you provide a solution that no humans can achieve. We thank you for our Lord Jesus. We thank you that in his name, people can once more be brought back together. That Babel will be reversed and a new city and a new throne will be in the center of all creation. Help us to respond rightly to you. In Jesus' name, Amen. Thanks for listening to this podcast brought to you by Bethany Trinity Presbyterian Church. For more information, visit us online at busypc.sg.